to the Mind Heart Muscle Podcast, where we explore the body and mind connection, train our hearts and souls, and understand what it is to be human. We connect with authors, coaches, and entrepreneurs from all over the world to both challenge and develop the way we think and approach our life. If you want to become the best version of yourself, have better relationships, and optimize your health, you'll learn that and much more here. We know you'll enjoy the show, so here we go. What's up, guys? We are back with our second return guest uh mr rick alexander how are you doing today rick i'm good i'm good thanks for having me absolutely uh before we started recording we we presented you with a question and that question is what is the most important thing that we could talk about today and uh you gave us a couple options and uh i wanted to lead with a question that i believe is going to lead right into one of the options that you presented for us and and uh, you recently started doing something called the Personal Podcast Project. And I was just wondering what it is your goal is with that and, you know, what it all entails for the client and for you. Yeah, totally. So um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the philosophy behind the project and then we'll, we can talk about the project if you want. But I, I realized in my, you know, I've hired a lot of coaches. I've been a coach for people. And one of the things that I learned is that the the ex the person that's external from you they don't have your answers like they can't tell you what to do and uh, as i actually had a guest on my podcast yesterday who said satisfaction and happiness are an inside job and it just hit me it was like yes exactly that's exactly right and so what a coach is actually doing is holding up a mirror right he's holding up a mirror so that you can see so that you can figure out the action that you're exhibiting and the result that you're getting and you can draw a straight line between those two things so that you can see how the way that you show up in the world is informing the life that you're living in the world in the results that you're getting and i've done a lot of my formal work in personality i've i've spent a lot of time studying the the big five the five factor personality model if you've heard of that um, and then also a lot of carl Jung's work which has devolved into or evolved into the 16 personalities and so what I realized is I was sort of sitting on this treasure trove of information. I would do these client calls and they would be talking to me and I'd be thinking, oh, well, that's actually an aspect of your psychology. Like that's how you're wired. And if you knew that, it might allow you to take a little bit of pressure off the way that you're talking to yourself and the way that you're, you're thinking about yourself. And I kept having all these little insights and I thought, man, is there any way that I could create a product so that I could hold this mirror up for people without me having to be there so that they could really digest and sit with the information. Cause you know, we might talk for an hour and I might tell you 50 things about yourself, but like really you can only work with like one or two of them at a time because we only have so much emotional and mental bandwidth. And so what the project is, is I put people through a battery of tests and you're one of them. I, you haven't gotten back to the second phase of it yet. But what happens is you go through the first phase answering a bunch of questions. And if you take those questions honestly and like really spend some time journaling about them and trying to figure out, like that's a coaching curriculum in itself. Like that will lead you to all kinds of different uh, areas. And then we do an interview. So I actually talk to you about your tests and see what like, see if I can 
if I'm missing anything or try to fill in some blanks that I'm missing. And then I build a podcast that's actually based on your psychology and the way that you're showing up in the world and what I'm seeing based on diagnostic results, not necessarily subjective. Although most people that buy the product, they listen to my podcast, so they're, they're into my subjectivity in some sense. So I'll tell stories and I'll talk, I'll give anecdotes and I'll just try to highlight different facets of them. And what I'm doing is I'm saying, look, in 50 minutes, I'm going to give you 50 threads and you can pull on whatever one you want when you're ready and how you want to. And they're going to all lead into a deeper insight into yourself, right? It's just going to, it's going to be another, another way to look at the mirror and figure out, ah, how am I showing up in this, in this world? And what is it that's causing the results that I'm getting? So that's the idea behind the project. I, I create the personal podcast based on you, your psychology, because look, anybody listening to this show, what they're actually listening for is how it applies to them, right? They're like, where, where, where does everything that they're saying fit in with me? So we're always trying to find ourselves in the space between the words. And I thought, well, what if I just made the words based on your psychology? That's what I study. That's what I do. Uh, and so that's the idea behind the personal podcast project. And I want to say that I've never seen anybody else doing this, um, but I love doing it. Uh-huh. That's awesome. And, you know, it's it's funny that you bring up that uh, what people are listening for is how it's going to pertain to them. Because we've had a couple of guests on where the conversation really hasn't hit me or it hasn't hit Matt. Um, and then, you know, at the end of it, I you know, you need to remind yourself that this conversation isn't for us every single time. Mm-hmm. The converse, the point of having a podcast is to have listeners. So the the conversation needs to be for the listeners, not just for Matt and myself. And it's awesome when it is for us, but it's even more awesome when it's for the listeners and that's what's going to keep them coming back. So that's what it is. And I think it's, that's such a cool concept because you're right. A coaching call can take you so far and you could go over a bunch of different points, but when you can press replay, on that, on that podcast over and over and over again, you're going to be able to really dive into what it is that the coach, the host, what wanted you to hear. And where, where did this idea stem from? Like, were you just like light bulb moment or had you been sitting on it for a while? So long. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You're right. And like what I suggest is when I send these to people, I'm like, listen, there's a whole because I give them show notes on the episode with all kinds of like further readings and journaling props and in meditations, visualizations, exercises. And so it comes with a I mean, a literal year curriculum of coaching if you really want it. And so you go back and listen to that every couple of months, like you're going to get something new out of it. And you'll be realized, oh, I'm wrestling with something new. And like, maybe I'll say something that doesn't really resonate at the time you listen to it. But three months later, when you're a bit further, you know, you've expanded consciousness a bit, then all of a sudden it comes into your sphere and you're like, oh, oh shit. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so to your point, like that continued process of, of going deeper into self is the idea behind actually getting the podcast. Um, I had, what I think it was. A few years back, I was going through a coaching program and I missed the call. And so she sent me like a audio file of the call, but she had like tailored a little bit to like my personal thing that I had, that I was doing with the coaching program, a bit of my personal psychology. 
and I listened to it and I remember <clears> crying <throat> when I listened to it because I'd never felt so like seen before. And that was an interesting thing. And I was pretty new in my journey um, to professional develop, personal development, whatever. Um, and then a couple, like six months later, I listened to it again and got a whole new round of insights. And that that's what planted the the seed for me to like want to do this. And I was like, oh, I definitely could do this for people. I create hundreds of podcasts, thousands at this point. Um, so yeah, that that's where the seed came from. Also to your point earlier about, you know, listening for, for where it applies to you. I don't know if you've, you grew up in a church or anything like that, but one of the phenomena that you see happen in religious services is people go to a church and they're like, God, I feel like he was speaking right to me. And like 10 people will have that, right? And it'll all be to their situation. Well, the idea would be that you as a content creator and a speaker align yourself with what's true and then what's true in them will resonate with what's, what's being said. And that's why that works because truth, because truth has a like somatic resonance in the body. And so, yeah, not to say that those people that didn't have resonance for you weren't saying truth, but, but ideally that's how the same message can take all of these different perspectives and feel like truth because it's actually true. And so what's true in you will resonate with that. And that's also why I try to stick to like diagnostics instead of being like, here's what I think your problem is. I'm like, mm -hmm. no, let me look at your personality and I'll tell you the strengths and weaknesses of that personality in this culture. We see the same uh, concept of tailoring to psychology in, in marketing as well with the concept of choosing, it, you know, who's your target audience and what's your ideal client? Um, what, what is one example of a problem that they might have? And you, it's, you put it out there to the world and you might reach some people, not all people. And like you said, it, it, it may be that, um, you know, this this is something that some people can resonate with because they identify with it. That makes it true for them or important to them. And something Ron said earlier about how, when we do podcast interviews or you listen to a podcast, you, the three of us could all listen to the same podcast and each take something different away from it because of our, the, the, the way that our, that we're wired the way that uh, we, the words we look for, it's our RAS, the reticular activating system, focusing on things we're familiar with and things that we, uh, things we see around us every day. They're, they're going to be different. And that's dependent on your environment, dependent on your history, your experience. Um, and how much of that is dependent on neurology versus psychology? Could you give us because you use that term a lot, you use personal psychology a lot. So can you give us a definition of that? And then how does that relate to how we're, the brain is actually wired? Yeah, totally. So your personal psychology, it's a perceptual lens, right? It is what you're looking through. And so off, like to me, there's nothing that's devoid of psychology because you don't have any other way of viewing the world, right? You only have a subjective sense of interacting with the world. And so your psychology is the lens you're actually looking through. And so people that believe that they've apprehended some sort of objective truth, they don't understand that concept. They don't understand that they're looking through a subjective psychology. And that's why you have a certain point of view. And then if you move to a new point, your view changes, right? It's not that the truth changed, it's that your view changed because the way that your awareness works 
is actually a selecting mechanism. And so you look around the world, you focus your attention on something, and then what your awareness does is cut everything out, that's everything the rest of the world is gets cut out so that you can understand what it is that you're looking at. And I think that that's a really important truth because when you begin to understand that, you begin to understand that your attention is your currency right that that is your entire world that's why you can watch a movie in the go to the movie theater and watch a movie and be absolutely like absorbed into the story and you're sitting in a cold dark room with a bunch of other people you don't know but none of that matters to you at all the only thing that matters to you is what's happening as long as the story is good right as, as long as it's engaging and resonates because your entire life is a story which we could talk about but you're <laughs> telling yourself a story and you're living it out and so when you see another story that's the truth that resonates with your truth pulls in your awareness, everything else gets left out. And so then that is your entire world. And so then you can see why marketers, there's this like clamoring for attention, because if they have your attention, they have your entire world. It is the thing that you have that they need. And so when I talk about personal psychology, I'm talking about like the lens, the, the actual way in which you're viewing and seeing the world, because everything that you hear gets filtered through your value system. It gets filtered through your upbringing it gets filtered through the traumas that you've repressed and pushed out of the way like nobody's seeing something objectively and as far as humans are concerned there isn't an objectivity because we don't have access to it so we approximate it with science and that's why we in science we try to look for things that are observable and repeatable because it helps us pull ourselves out from what we're reading and understanding um, and so what I would say is when I talk personal psychology, I would say your neurology, the reticular activating system, all of this stuff, they're different facets of your psychology and the lens that you're viewing the world through. And the better you understand that lens, the better you understand what you're looking at. That you brought up something deep and a rabbit hole and interesting just there. Have you heard of a theory about how what we see and what um, the world that we understand to be true uh, is only because we of how we perceive it. No, none of it actually exists. Have you heard of a theory about like that? Can you can you say a little bit more on it? I think I've heard um, of a few. I'm totally remembering something I, I heard. Didn't do much research, but you when you mentioned ob objectivity and subjectivity, how. Um, the world is, is our world is, is a story. There is a, there's a theory. I'm going to do some more research on this because it's fascinating to me mm -hmm. um, and likely bullshit because things exist physically. Um, this conversation only exists because we're having it um, because we're observing it because our perception and our, uh, our personal psychology is creating it. Otherwise, it's not a, it's not real. This microphone that I have is not real. Only it's only real because I say it's real. Mm. Um, then we have things like science, things that we can measure and observe, and that are repeatable. And then what's the what's the explanation for that? So, um, you brought up the objectivity versus subjectivity, it, and it got me thinking about this this concept, and. Yes, we can talk about how everyone's world is a story. And that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Um, I have that conversation with clients often because it's the story you tell yourself. Um, and it's how we formulate memory or how we, we remember 
our memories. We use stories because it's relatable. It's usually a formulaic as well. We identify some sort of struggle. Um, we identify who um, helped us overcome that struggle and what we felt like after. And it's all around how we felt and, and what the outcome was. It's difficult, if not impossible, to remember something as it exactly was because there's so much subjectivity. There's my interpretation and yours, and then the both of ours combined create this story. So one, you know, your story would be different from my story, even if we're talking about the same event. Could you elaborate on what you said, um, how, people's, how people's lives are essentially a story? So, yeah, totally. So to, okay, I've had a lot of caffeine, so we can pull this apart as much as you want. <laughs> um, Hell so the yeah. First, <laughs> so the first thing that you mentioned, there's a documentary called What the Bleep. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Heard um, of that. Heard of it's it, a, yeah. It's some like real pseudoscience garbage, in my did, opinion. Did garbage, Mark yeah. that, Matt? What the Bleep. I heard about that on a, on a Joe like Rogan episode. The, maybe that's where I heard it, because I feel like this isn't the first time I've heard somebody mention it. You might have, yeah. yeah. The problem with a lot of this stuff is it's based on like good sound principles, but then like takes it too far or takes it beyond mm -hmm. what we actually understand about that thing. So there's something called the observer effect in quantum physics, which is like once you get really, really subatomic level and you look at something like the whether or not you're looking at it actually affects how it presents in the world. And so that's like one thing that like kind of is at the bottom, I think, of the theory that you're talking about. It's like things only exist when we interact with them. And mm -hmm. um, I think that there's a bit of truth to that. And so then we can move into what you were saying about being embedded in a narrative. Our brains have two meanings, right? So the first is survival. You've got to survive or there is no story, mm -hmm. right? The second is meaning making. So once you're here and you're living, What's it mean and why are you here? And so in order to make meaning in your life, there's two ways that this happens. Psychologically, this, is, this isn't debatable. There's two ways that this happens. One is that your actions come into alignment with your intrinsic value system. So what you actually value. You'll have the subjective sense of meaning because what's important to you is being met with your actions. The second way that that happens is that you see your story embedded within the context of a larger story. And this is why religions for so long have provided so much meaning for people because they see their story embedded within another story. So now we can get into like, what's our narrative function in the brain? Well, you're talking about the microphone, right? I look at this microphone and it is nothing except a hunk of matter right? It's composed of different parts, but it's matter. I look at this desk, it's just a thing of matter, but it's my brain that tells me what it is. So it tells me how to utilize this thing. And so our brains are going around all the time and they're saying, oh, that's it. That piece of matter over there is a desk and you sit at it like this and you can use it in these different ways. And that's how we go about understanding everything in our sphere and what our world is. Now, the problem is, that your brain might assign the wrong meaning to something. And this happens a lot in life. Like it happens a lot with, let's say uh, you're starting to hang out with a girl and you're texting back and forth and then she stops texting you for 
three hours, right? Now, in that period of three hours, what happens? Your brain, the meaning-making function, starts assigning all of these meanings. She doesn't like me anymore. She's over it. She's going to ghost me. She's whatever, all these narratives. And then she'll text you and be like, oh, sorry, I was on the phone with my mom and we just went a little bit long. And then the brain's like, oh, God, okay. So all those narratives that I was just spinning up are uh, were, were incorrect. Now, what that tells you is that your ego, your self, the, the self that you know, your subjective sense of the world, its job is to filter through the narratives that your brain gives you and decide which ones are actually worth acting on. Because your brain's gonna just keep feeding you narratives because that's what its job is. But if you just believe every single thought that you have, like you'll end up in a really stupid place because people have really stupid thoughts and they don't know where thoughts come from. Nobody does. <laughs> and so it's your job as like a conscious adult to sift through the narratives and actually hone that meaning making function in your brain. And so, yeah, we tell ourselves story about stories about our lives and then we live those stories out. Uh, in that same example, I see this with athletes. I see this with relationships are a really good way. Like maybe you got cheated on a bunch in past relationships. And so your narrative is that like, maybe I'm unlovable and I'll get cheated on and I'm not worth staying for. And then you get with somebody that like actually has no intention of cheating on you, but you're going to, you're going to treat them as if they do on an unconscious level, because you're living out the story that you're telling yourself, your, your body is going to react to what the brain says about it. And then you'll end up manifesting that place, that thing happening in the world. And so that's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And we do that in all kinds of ways. Um, I talk about that a lot in my second book, actually. But but yeah, I think your entire life is a mm -hmm. story that you're telling yourself and you are living it out. I like that you said the story comes first and then we act it out. Totally. And we think, a lot of people think, especially if they adopt uh, the, the victim mentality, it's the, it's the reverse of that. They act things out, then they tell a story about it. Uh, and my question is, is it, is it possible to truly think objectively about the world around you? No, 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 I don't think so. You have, a, you have a lens, you're looking through it and you'll convince yourself of like, that's what the truth is. And it's mm -hmm. like, no, that's the truth as you are perceiving it. That's your point of view. As I said, you move to a different point, your view will change and then you'll see, oh, okay. That was only true from that place. Um, even so with all the data and the facts and the research, it's still 100% subjective. Yeah, but, and so this is the scientific theory. This is why we have it. So we can like take our subjectivity out of it, but we can't take it out completely because all you are is subjectivity. You're not something different. You know, that, that's what you are. That's the meaning, right? That's, that's that search for meaning that the brain is looking for. Sure, yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I've seen this play out I was training for strongman for a while when I was getting ready for my first strongman event. Um, the first deadlift was at 500 pounds. And I was just like, my goal in this first one is to not pull zeros, you know, like not to get up there and just like, uh, like can't pull the sword out of the stone. Like what the fuck is this guy doing? And so, um, but my deadlift was halted at 495. And I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that. Like when you're at a true, true PR, a half a pound and you're not getting it off the floor, you know? And I tried all kinds of different things. And I did this thought experiment um, with my coach. And 
essentially he he told me that it was 485 is what he did and i could pick for i could pick 485 up every single time and we covered it with trash bags so i never actually knew the weight but he kept telling me the right weight so it was like accurate for like an entire training cycle and then we put 515 on and he told me it was 485 and i already knew that i could pull 485 so it wasn't can i pull this i just walked up and pulled it and in that moment i realized oh i was living out a story like I was at the end of my strength, but if I, but to get through that plateau, I had to tell myself a new story. And it I've worked. seen that play out so many times because you, you, somebody knows what's on the barbell and something just happens where they don't believe that they can pick them, pick it up. And when or they start, do believe it's their limit, I start adding, I start adding weird plates to get to weights that I know is what it is and they can't do the math mm -hmm. and then 10, 15, 20 pounds past their old personal record. And they're like, Holy shit, what happened? I'm like, you, you turned your brain off and you stepped into your body for a second and the magic happened. Um, that's I, pattern I, interruption in a way. 100%. And I hate to backpedal because Matt and I just talked about how much mind and heart that we've been talking about and not enough muscle. And now here we are on the muscle, <laughs> but I, I really got to get to this and all this talk about truth. And I believe it was on an episode of morning coffee where you had said, the truth is what enough people agree upon. But right now in the landscape that we are living in, there is so much this is the truth. And there's so much, this is the truth. At what point is it both the truth? Right. So, so I would say that it is both the truth. And I think the words that I use is consensus reality. Okay. And that's how we, that's how we go about navigating the world is we have a consensus on what reality is like, listen, to be successful in the world, you've got to go to school, right? You've got to, there's certain things that we've all decided as a culture that we're going to live by as truth, call it truth if you want. By the way, I tried to write a book on truth and I gave up on that. <laughs> like I just kept going into holes I couldn't get out of philosophically. It was miserable. Um, but so, but consensus reality is easier to understand because you've been, you've been indoctrinated into this, rea what reality is your entire life. And I think the example I gave on that show is I was like, you know, when you were young going to school, you probably didn't want to go to school at some points, but all of the adults agreed that you had to, that was consensus reality. It's like, you've got to do it. And now we're at a point because the political system has become so divisive that like, what is considered reality consensus reality is breaking down right? It is like, it's remember I said like, oh, this is a table and my, my mind tells me we use it for these parts. Well, imagine if like half of the country was all of a sudden like, yo, you don't sit at that, you stand on it. That's what tables are for. And, and you would just be like, okay, so now I have to decide how the hell I'm going to use this piece of matter. It's obviously just a piece of matter if it can be interpreted in different ways. And there are all these ways that this is playing out in our world right now. Should you wear a mask or not wear a mask? Should you get the vaccine or not? Should you go to school or not go to school? And so now because everything's become politicized, consensus reality has broken down completely. And people that have abdicated responsibility for their lives and, and relied on what other people said to get them through, they're, I mean, 
they're fucked, right? They don't know which way is up right now because reality, the true reality as they understand it is breaking down around them. And to my mind, what that's calling forth is the conscious adult. I think it's a really good thing because in my mind, all you actually could be held responsible for in this life is contributing to the world in a way that's in alignment with your value system. And so now that what reality is, is breaking down to my mind. Like, I think that it's calling forth adults to become more conscious, to decide like, damn, what is best for me? Is it best that I go to school? Is it best that I wear a mask? Is it, you know, you have to wrestle with these decisions now. Um, unfortunately you're being fed a, you know, whole wave of misinformation and politicized fa facts, but, um, it is worth knowing that consensus reality is breaking down and you are now having to make real decisions about what it means to be here and how to conduct yourself. It's a dilemma. It's yeah. And people are rejecting <laughs> it. You know, uh, there's another way psychologically that this is going to play out that people don't understand too, which is when you're young, you're mapping the world out constantly. Right. And that's how that's your survival function of your brain. It's like, how do I be here? It's like, okay, those kind of people could kill me. If I stand in front of a car, that's a way I could die. So you're like looking at, you're mapping the world out about like what's safe to be here. And then once you do that sufficiently and the world feels safe enough, you then can go out and take risks and you can take the necessary risks that are required to thrive in your life. But people that don't think the world is safe, they don't necessarily have the stability to go out and take risks. So this is why one of the roles of a parent is to kick the kid out of the nest and to go play in the world and get hurt. And then that way they can come back, you know, and be like, oh, I cracked my egg. And the parent's like, okay, well, let me give you a kiss and we'll get you to the hospital and we'll make it all better. And in that process of rupture and repair and like going out into the world and exploring it, you actually main, you actually create the psychological safety necessary to go out and take risks in the world. Well, now what's happening, and, and again, we don't understand this at all, but what's happening is all like hordes of generations of kids are mapping the world out as a profoundly unsafe to be. They're being fed this 24 hour mainstream media. So fear is being dripped into their body constantly. And so they're mapping the world out as unsafe. And now when they, these same people get into their twenties and then they have to go take the necessary risks to start businesses and do hard things and go out on limbs and ask people on dates and do whatever it is that, that their internal constitution is requiring of them, they're going to feel stuck because they're going to be like, the world's too unsafe. And so. Um, that's going to be a mental health crisis that we are not prepared for. How do we stop it? Well, you have to map the world out as a safe place. So you have to teach your kids that it's okay to go out and take risks. And you have to teach them, you have to walk them through that rupture repair cycle. So, and then also I would say that you really have to limit what you allow into your consciousness, right? Because fear... You might think about fear as possession, because if I, if you're scared of me, I can make you do anything, right? It's only if you don't fear me that I don't have possession over you in some way, um, outside of physical possession, right? And so the media obviously understands that and uses it as a way of gaining more and more views. It's a business. It's the model. It's how they do it. Now, the unintended side effect of this, though, is like, if I pull a gun out and I scare you right away, it's like a it's like an instant just injection of fear. You understand what's happening. You're going to make a, the best decision for your life and you're going to respond to that fear, right? Just like if I gave you an injection of morphine. But if I put you on a slow drip of morphine and I only gave you one drip a minute, 
you wouldn't feel anything, but two hours from now, you'd be fucked up. Right. And so the way to think about it is we're constantly in taking these fear narratives from the media, constantly from Instagram, constantly from the news. And so we have a slow drip of fear. And so it's coercing our actions constantly because we're not protecting our psychology. We're not project protecting our subjective sense of the world. We're letting anybody in. And so now all of these people have residence in, in your mind, all of these people, mm. and they're controlling what you do not necessarily controlling, but making it so that you don't have freedom because the more you react to fear, the less freedom you have. What I'm understanding from this is people essentially have a shield that protects them theoretically. Um, and because we're being exposed to such small um, pieces of information, small bits of fear, it, that gets through the shield. If they were bigger, we'd, we'd know it's coming and we'd be able to protect ourselves. But because they're so small, we don't see it coming. We all of a sudden we're, we're fucked up. Like the morphine example, is mm -hmm. there a way to strengthen, build the density so that we understand when that fear is coming so we can see the writing on the wall when it's, it's you know, we look at media, we look at, uh, what's going on in the political world it's it's subliminal unconscious messaging that is causing us to believe certain things over time and we believe it to be our own beliefs rather than someone else's it's environmental essentially so is there mm -hmm. a way to um, strengthen the filter essentially totally this is what i call fear work so mm. um are you afraid of anything like uh spiders or snakes or what what really really creeps you out that like gut bone feeling does it have to be something like that what what are you afraid of just um, my my rel relatively my biggest fear is just not being able to enjoy life oh like, no it's got to be something concrete for this okay we'll get into a, that i've got a pet spider here so that's not <laughs> okay all right here's what we're gonna do we're gonna pretend that you're afraid of spiders for let's example. pretend you can find for, something yeah. that creeps you out i bet though, of, right? of course yeah right spend enough time like just cruising around Nat Geo or something. And so, <laughs> and so here's what you do. It's a meditation. So Ed bucks, uh, let's go with that. Yeah. So, um, the way that fear works is as you obey fear, right? So like, I'm like, Hey, you better not go out. This is why people are so afraid about like allowing for, quote unquote terrorists to win. Right. Because as soon as you obey fear, then again, they have the control. And so you kind of want, that's why people are like, well, I'm going to go live my life anyway, whatever. So the way that what happens though, is when you listen to that fear, it grows and you get smaller. So that's psychologically what happens. The I that you are gets smaller in comparison to the fear and it won't change. It'll keep getting bigger and bigger and you'll get smaller and smaller. And so the way that you psychologically beat that fear is you actually increase courage. You, most people are waiting for their fear to go away. I'll start that business when I'm not so afraid of going out on a limb. You know, there, I'll, I'll ask her out on a date when I, when I'm not so scared. Right. Mm. And so we're waiting for our fear to go away. And that's a fallacy because psychologically it doesn't, it, it only grows. And so what you have to do is increase courage in comparison to that fear, right? It's like when you avoid something, the more you avoid it, the bigger it gets, right? And then a small situation just becomes unmanageable because you haven't just given it your attention and dealt with it. So 
what you want to do in response to fears, you actually want to learn to increase courage. And so let's say that I'm deathly afraid of spiders. So the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to look at a picture of a spider. You don't go head first into what you're afraid of because then you end up in chaos. So you look at a picture of a spider. Now, what you're paying attention to is the way that this really feels in your body. So you, so you want to find something that you're afraid of. And as a meditation, you want to, you want to look at it and you're actually studying yourself in relation to it. And then maybe the next thing you do is you go to an aquarium and then you look at a spider in real life, or you go to your house and you look at a spider <laughs> in real life. Again, you're looking at the spider, but you're lit, you're feeling for what it feels like in your body. What that's showing you is where fear shows up for you and what it feels like in your body and what you're teaching yourself is that you actually can be afraid because fear is not going to hurt you, right? It's a survive. It's an informational input. And then you decide what to do with it. Like I'm definitely afraid of heights and I've got a ton of jumps. Like I've jumped out of a ton of helicopters. I've jumped, you know, para, um, repelled, fast roped, all that. Because fear is not going to hurt you. You just have to work through it. You have to increase courage in response to fear. And so again, I think that's probably the idea behind <clears throat> when people say, well, just do it afraid. It's like, well, Maybe you might end up in chaos and shut down completely and your body might not work. But if you slowly do it afraid, you can study what that fear feels like in your body. Now, where the rubber really meets the road is one, you're teaching yourself to be in fear and do what you want anyway, because that's what matters. And then the second thing you're doing is you're teaching yourself what fear feels like in your body. And now when you're watching the news and you feel that morphine drip, you're like, whoa, what's going on here? It's like, yeah, someone just dripped a bit of fear into your bloodstream and you weren't paying attention. And so you start to become aware of where fear is funneling your life into a, into a more controlled and smaller existence. And so, again, over time, that's what you want to do. You want to increase courage and teach yourself to be afraid. Um, one way that I like to do this is I'll go for a run at night and there's a part in the woods that's just like pitch dark. And I'll get in there and I'll just stand in there and close my eyes and put my arms out. Like it's the most vulnerable position I can be in, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the woods. And I'll just close my eyes. Now, nothing's going to happen to me there. It's a completely irrational fear response. It's something that's baked into my DNA as a human being. And so I just sit there and I study it. And I'm like, what does this feel like? Like, what is this trying to make me do? I'm like, oh, it's trying to make me uh, go into a shame posture. It's trying to make me curl over. And that's why I'll do the opposite. I'll like get as big as I can. I'll open my shoulders, close my eyes, and I'm just feeling that fear course through me. Um, and so, you, yeah, you can teach yourself to spar with these things. You don't have to be a victim of them. You just got to learn how they show up in your body. Doing what the three of us do and trying so hard to spread information to people, which I believe that's a strong connection that we have with you, Rick, is that we want people to take responsibility for themselves and, and to overcome things like what you're talking about right now. What do you believe is a way that we could have the lowest barrier to entry to helping people overcome something like fear or shame or, um, the desire to start something that they know is going to benefit them. Well, I think, you know, at the end of the day, like what I'm talking about here is actually getting involved with the thing itself. You can't talk about it, right? Your life isn't just thought. Like if you exist only in thought, like you're not in your life, you're not existing in the world. And so you've got to actually, you've got to do the dance. You're, you're here now. So you might as well just do it. And, and so if I'm working with somebody, 
I do pinpoint like their fears. I pinpoint their narratives. Like what, what do you think you have to stay away from in this world? Cause that's, what's taking your freedom away. What you can't go face, you know, that's, that's the idea behind the Carl Jung quote that what you want most is found where you're least willing to look. It's like, because where you're least willing to look is controlling you. You can't go there. So there's some part of this life, this existence that you can't go to. And then what happens is your internal constitution is making demands of your life. Like this idea that you can be whatever you want. I'm like, yeah, not really. I mean, you can do it, but you're going to be miserable. Like if I go make myself being an accountant, can I do it? Am I smart enough? Can I make it happen? Yeah. Is my soul going to rot under that fluorescent light? You bet your ass, right? So, so I actually have an internal constitution that's making demands of my life. Now, what happens with a lot of us is our internal constitution makes a demand of our life and then our fear puts up a wall and now we're stuck because we can't go where we want to go and we can't even face it. And so we're not even aware of it. And so when I'm working with people, I actually try to figure out what is the thing that you can't do, the thing you can't face. Like I've got a guy right now and I've noticed that his entire world exists in the analytical side of the mind. Like, but we have a whole other creative side of our mind that can do all kinds of cool stuff and it can exist in chaos and it can make sense of chaos. And that's why we have it. And so he spends his whole life avoiding chaos. So the first thing that I'm having him do is go play, right? I'm having him go be in the world and actually not be able to manipulate the world or control the result or analyze it. You've got to start to spar with that, what you don't know with the unknown. You've got to learn to step into it. Um, Yeah. So that's one way. Actually do it, you know, actually Mm -hmm. get in there and, 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 and teach yourself that you can, you know, when a clinical psychologist has a, uh, has a, agoraphobic person, which I bet agoraphobia right now is through the roof. We're not even paying attention to stats like that. Like people that are getting really fearful of the world and like staying as shut-ins in their house. So the first thing that they do is they actually have them visualize leaving their house, you know? And then the next thing that they do is they actually have them go to the front door and then they actually have them take the step. And so what you're doing is you're like, okay, reality is presenting me with this picture that's making me feel small. Well, then how do I increase my relative size and courage? How do I step into this unknown and spar with it and play with it and, and, and actually learn, teach myself that I'm the one in control of the ship? Because the problem is when you're waiting for your fear to go away, like you're waiting on a ship without realizing that you're the captain. And so you're just sitting there. And so realizing that and like that you actually have autonomy and agency in that that's everything. You know, you're right. There's so much fear of going out into the world. Uh, I recently saw that, you know, well, I haven't stopped, you know, I've been since this whole thing started, like New York got shut down, Matt, I was out to see you what, like three, four times since March of last year. And I recently saw that somebody that I'm friends with just went out for the first time, like three weeks ago. I'm like, it blows my mind that people allow themselves to be controlled so much by something that is, especially like when you actually do the homework the risk factor is really low, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, when you look at the, the big picture numbers, uh, where does that come from? Politics. 
<laughs> agendas, right? Well, Ideologies. We've built up our filter, you know, to, to, to we're the captains of our own ship and mm -hmm. we make our own choices, essentially. Like you, you said, politics and agendas. Okay. I choose to believe what I want to believe of that agenda. And now we're seeing the problem with that. Mm hmm right? Because you've abdicated responsibility for your life to what somebody else says, somebody external from you, somebody that's not you at all, right? And now they're the ones making the decisions for how you live. Um, I was wondering if this would stumble into politics, but it just <laughs> did. Um, and, you know, for me, I'm concerned with psychology. I don't like- This might me, be the first time we've talked about politics on this podcast. <laughs> well, you know, to me, to like shut people in their house and not pay for their bills and their therapy is neglect and abuse. It's absolute, it's absurd right and and unfortunately your attention is your world right and so when you're giving your entire attention to these divisive issues and these politics then you make a decision like yeah i will forgo my mental health in order to serve whatever it is i'm serving safety or altruism or whatever i've convinced myself i'm serving and now at the same time there's all this other stuff that's happening outside of your attention. And so you're like kind of checking out Pornhub a little bit more and you're kind of drinking a little bit more. And so all of a sudden where your attention's not is going to assert itself because you haven't given all that you are enough attention. And I think we're like now moving into a part of the world where this is what's going to start unfolding. All these things that we just neglected to pay attention to this one issue, it's going to come back and bite us in a really hard way. And when you're left with nothing else to do but scroll or watch TV <laughs> and all you see is somebody saying that this is right and somebody saying that this is wrong and you're just left with, I don't know what to choose. Mm -hmm. And totally. This and goes back in history too. Binds you we've been we've been subjected to How things so? like this for forever like i was told my whole life that in order to be successful i had to go to school get a job work 9 to 5 work for 20 to 30 years retire then have go have fun you know have a house accumulate things and uh, i didn't know what the hell a 1099 was i didn't know about pre-tax income i didn't know about all these things cuz they only teach you certain things in the school that they tell you to go to. And I, we're getting off on a tangent, but if you think about it, what what's what's happening is that there's this one reality, the go to school, get a job reality, which is great. And then there's other, there's other ways of achieving the same outcome. So I was on the, I was on a, did a podcast with our, our friend Chase the other day and we were talking about fulfillment. I'm writing a book about fulfillment and about learning. And I have this concept of always questioning everything. And the idea came up that, that he brought up is, you know, we're all on these different paths, essentially. We might be looking for the same destination. Like if, you know, you're in Colorado, you're in Pennsylvania, I'm in New York. If we were all flying to LA, It'll take us a different amount of time and we can question how we get there. We can, we can uh, take different ways. It might take me a little bit longer than you Ron, and you longer than Rick, but we'll all get there. 
And if we can understand that we, there are different options to get to the same place, whether that be happiness or fulfillment or safety, which is the current thing, that's the current na- narrative, stay home, be safe, or travel the world, feel happy, get a job, be successful. Like there's different ways to get to the same destination. And when you can see beyond the, the veil, when when your when your uh, filter or your smoke screen has a bigger view, like a wider angle, that's when you can make the choices that we make, and that's how we're allowed. We're able to say, "All right, you know what? The rest of the world is staying in, but I can do this. I can still do this. I don't have to stay. I don't have to do everything." They say, "I can choose some of those things. I'll still wear a mask. I'll still go to school." And then I'll, I'll look for other opportunities and I'll look for other avenues and other paths and other flight plans because I'm starting in a different place mm-hmm. or I've exposed, subjected myself to enough of those little drips of courage that allow me to make those decisions. Tangents. Politics. Yeah. This is why we, we stay well, away from politics, but I love it. The psychology point, of it is fantastic. So so your your presupposition in there is that we're all headed toward fulfillment and we're all taking different ways to get there, or that's where we want to go? Uh, that's, that is where people um, that, I, that I've worked with and pe- people that I talk to believe they're that, going. They believe they're going toward fulfillment. I believe that meaning. that is the thing that that's the thing that people are looking for the most now. Mm-hmm. Is you know, it's like what uh, Dr. Lance said when we talked to him about survival has been made easy for us. Mm-hmm. And our ancestors, their only goal was to survive. And now that we, the 2021 human being, doesn't have to worry about survival, like I can literally live off of $2 meals at a convenience store i might feel like shit but i can live mm-hmm. survival is easy it's it's you can't even say simple not easy it's easy it's stupid easy and now because it's so easy everybody's wondering what the hell they're even here for why am i here so now it's this constant it's this i need to be fulfilled and that really i that really is what i believe right now is the equivalent to a century ago, our ancestors just wanting to survive. My great grandparents, my great grandparents being teenagers during the Great Depression, they just wanted to survive. They just wanted to get to their next meal. They just wanted to figure out how to pay their bills, keep their house. And now for us, it's like, what does life even mean? They had something to live for because it was living. For us, we're all searching for what are we even here for? And that's why the fulfillment word just keeps popping up. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote about that in Burn Your Couch. I called it the evolution of purpose mm-hmm. and how we're now freed up to find new purpose and cure polio and do shit like that. <laughs> and at the same time, like choice is great until it's not. I wrote about that in my second <laughs> book. It's like, you know, um, if you and I are out to dinner, and this, this guy, Barry Schwartz, wrote a whole paper, a sociologist wrote a paper about this. But if you and I are out to dinner and I order what I think looks best and you order what you look, 
think it looks the best and I get what I want and then you get what you want and I think yours looks better. I've now made myself less happy only by knowing that something else exists, right? And so this fundamentally is the problem of the modern person because we have unlimited choices, unlimited shopping, unlimited everything all the time. And so now it doesn't feel like freedom. It feels like unhappy and paralyzing. And then to, to your point, Matt, like this is what I was trying to get at between this you know, we sometimes end up in our minds in a rift between fulfillment and safety, because when we've listened to fear, we have to do what we think is going to provide us with safety, even if it's at odds with what is going to give us fulfillment. And so that's why you're seeing people that have never left their house in the last year, because they're the two functions of their brain are at odds. And so they're stuck. Um, so yeah, it's the curse of, of decision making. That's why in, in things like marketing or sales, you limit people's options because they're, they're going to either be freeze because they have to make a decision mm -hmm. or, and, and they're going to start comparing or, Hey, this is the one thing that you, that's going to help you solve your problem. Okay. I believe you. And that's essentially what we're being sold now the, the the main narrative in the world is this one option of well what it was it's changing clearly it it was stay home wear a mask um limit don't interaction touch don't touch each other whatever yeah like touch is negotiable in the human psyche yeah it's not <laughs> it isn't it's not it's not it negotiable it no. is something so. that is 100 needed yes Imagine if this is a whole experiment of, can we change the human psyche? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. You just, yeah. created a, you just created a new conspiracy theory, Matt. <laughs> this is, um, I'm going to leave it on the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and conspiracy theories thrive in isolation, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, so that's why we've seen so many different things pop up is because, because of the isolation is, uh, this that's I've never heard anybody say that before. That's a gen, genuine question. Is yeah, that so why we've seen so much of this pop up? In in a sense, so so conspiracy theories are a um, they're relatively new phenomena. They pop up in an individualistic culture when you're alone in your four walls and you've got time to think. And people are saying, "I'm coming after you. I'm coming after your freedom. I'm coming after your what you have." And so then, because you're an individual and you have things and you've convinced yourself that because you have the receipt, you own them. You're like, well, I got to protect what I have. And so who's coming for it? And so now you have the time for these th thoughts to circle. And when you're living in community, which the world was mostly community up until our little experiment in the last couple hundred years, there wasn't time for that. Like you're, you're out living, you're doing things, you're interacting with people. And so, and so I do think, yeah, a huge factor of it is, is the fact that you, that you live alone and, or, or in, in very small, isolated and individual societies. Yeah. I also think, uh, just for the record, like one of the things that pulls us toward endurance events and like hard things is this elimination of choice. Like I noticed this mm -hmm. in my own life, I was getting out of the military and had like Again, blank canvas is great right up until it's not, you know, and so you have all mm -hmm. these options and you're like, but what am I going to do? And uh, I would be on mile 200 of a run and it's like my entire world gets reduced to, can I put another step forward? Can I put another step forward? And when you go into a pain cave like that and your attention gets focused and the rest of the world gets cut out, man, there's something super satiating to the soul about having your life brought into that simplicity. 
And so, yeah, I think on some front, the modern person is having to like deal with all of these different is such a complex world now. There's so much coming at us, so many choices, so much isolation. Filters out the noise too when you're in that situation and it, people crave it. I'm, when you finish a, an endurance event, do you get into like a depressive state? Or have, yeah, have you, have you, have you finished um, it? It's, um, I, you know, I've climbed a bunch of mountains and there's this okay. talk about like post expedition depression. Uh-huh. right P- people spend months sometimes years prepping for this one thing and then they do it and then it's over and now what it's like that blank canvas after leaving the yeah. military like you said i attribute that to hedonic adaptation have you heard of that Vaguely, the idea that yeah yeah so so the so the idea is that you your relative level of happiness will always fall back down to what it was before you began the endeavor or before you Mm. started after the thing. That's why you buy the new car and three days later, you're just as miserable, Mm. you know, because it's your relative level of happiness can't be increased by external factors, even if it can for a time. And so you put yourself into things that take long periods of time. And then you go back down to where you were at the base of the mountain. And you're like, Oh, I feel depressed again. Mm -hmm. It's like, you feel you again almost as if the journey of the endurance event climbing the mountain is just running away from the things that mm. are really bogging you down. That's a thread we could pull on yeah. for a while. <laughs> yeah. We only have a few more minutes left. Right, right. Yeah. So, but you're since, right, I think. So since you brought up the fact of your endurance events, the last time you were here with us, we talked about your uh, bike adventure. Now, yeah, that's right. um, mm-hmm. Are you doing anything like that again? Or have you put that, if you put stuff like that on the back burner? Um, school has forced me to put some things on the back burner, um, but I am training again and I'm uh, doing a couple like uh, running and biking events at the end of this summer. So yeah, I'm, I'm slowly starting to um, talk about it and think about it again. Yeah. I imagine that started as, you know, like you said, getting out of the military that looking for something to do and and maybe even running from something at the time with all of the work that you have done on yourself, have you found that now it's more for bliss rather than for escapism? Because I, I mean, I speak from experience. I know that I've done some stupid things physically just to escape reality. <laughs> yes, 100%. Now that I don't need to run 200 miles in order to feel worthy. Like, why the fuck would I run 200 miles, you know? Um, but, but in seriousness, yeah, like I walked through the airport uh, a couple of months ago and I just felt so, you know, I always pay attention to how I feel, like how are things making me feel? Cause it'll tell you what's kind of sinking into your consciousness without you knowing it. And every single marketer is like, you're not whole without this, but you could be, if you buy this, you're not whole, you're broken, but you could be fixed if you buy this. And that's every single thing that we do, like every single marketing scheme. And so, yeah, I think for me, like the last couple of years have really been a journey toward like wholeness within self and healing. And then, then it becomes now when I go out and I do a run bike or something, it just feels like this additive to my life. It's like, you know, it used to be, I mean, I, there was a point where I ran three ultra marathons and the Boston marathon in one month, you know, I ran two fifty milers in a day, um, or I ran a 50 K and a 50 miler in a day, like one in the morning and one started at midnight. And like, there's, when you end up on that hedonic treadmill, like you're never going to get, there is no there, there's nowhere to get, you're going to keep trying and you're going to keep 
sinking back down into who you are. And so, yeah, I think a lot of my work has been, how do I become whole? And then that way, the things that I'm doing in my life, they're actually just additives. They're actually making my life better. We got to get you back here in a few months to go deeper into that conversation because, you know, I found myself, you know, back when a few years ago, when I was regularly doing CrossFit competitions, like every, every other month, you know, and just like, okay, that one's over. I'm on to the next. So that one's over. I'm on to the next. And it's just like, totally. What was it even for, you know, besides the fact that I was miserable in my personal life and it gave me something to appreciate and live for at the time, man, that hour went by so fast. Rick, if you could uh, leave our listeners with uh, one more nugget for this amazing episode that was so much fun, what would it be? Um, you know, I, I'm really into self-inquiry, like asking yourself the really tough questions. Um, and so to me, like the question for you, for anybody is, what are you avoiding? What right now, what's the next step? What's the next thing that you know that you need to do that you are not doing? What are you avoiding in your life? What are you not willing to face? What it is that your deepest, like the depth of your heart, what you're looking for, it's on the other side of that. Man, thank you so much. And just refresh our listeners on where they can find you and more information about you and the personal podcast project and anything you have coming up. Yeah, I've got some spots opening for that here soon. So uh, rickalexander.com is all my projects and all my programs. And then at rickalexander underscore on Instagram is where I'm the most active. Awesome. Thank you so much, my man. Thank Thanks, you Rick. If you loved this podcast, then share it. Tell all your friends. Hit the copy button, copy the link, choose five friends in your contact list on your phone and send it out. Let them know what they can expect from it too, because we are on a mission here to change the world and we want to help as many people as possible. So if you know anyone who can benefit from hearing what we have to say or what our guests have to say, then send it over. It's not going to do them any good if they don't hear it. Another way you can support us and support the podcast is really simply go on to Apple or go on to Spotify and rate the thing. Give us a five-star review. Write us a little note. Let us know how we're doing. Shoot us a DM on Instagram. Whatever it takes, let us know so we know that we're on the right track. And we know that we're providing content that is actually relevant to what you are needing and what you are looking for. And if it's not, hey, maybe we can help. So do your job. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate it.